You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Please join with me in turning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and this morning in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we've come to verse 32. We're going to read beginning with verse 32 down to verse 35. Matthew 24, let's begin with verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's go to our God together in prayer and ask His blessing. Father in heaven, we thank You for this morning we have to worship You together. What a joy Your church is, Lord, to our hearts. The older I get, Lord, the more I see so clearly how Your church is necessary for us, for our perseverance, for our remaining faithful and steadfast in the truth. Thank You, Lord, for the gatherings we have together each Lord's Day that encourage us and remind us and convict us and fortify us for all the things, Lord, that we are meant to live in the light of in these days. We ask now Your blessing upon the preaching of Your Word. We ask for clarity of thought and clarity of speech. We ask for insight, both in the preaching and in the hearing of Your Word. Lord, You would Take hold of the sword of the Spirit this day and work in our hearts in a way that when we leave here, we will have been edified. We are mindful that there are people with us who don't know You. We, Lord, each Lord's Day ask that You would save. And thank You, Lord, for the many that You have saved this past year and ask that You would continue, Lord, to glorify Yourself in hearts anew and afresh as You save sinners. But we gather as Your church. We need this, Lord. We need this means of grace that You've ordained for our spiritual health and well-being and continuance. And so we turn our attention together now to Your Word and ask You to bless it to our hearts. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, our Shepherd, Lord Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Our Lord has just given an outline of events that lead all the way to the time of His second coming. He says, verse 30, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. The fact that Jesus 
dares to speak in such ways. He's talking about himself coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. It's quite a claim, isn't it? The fact that he would dare to speak this way, the fact that he can tell the end from the beginning, that he does so with all authority, all of this speaks to the truth about his nature, about his person. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? He is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is what we celebrate this time of year, the fact that the eternal Son of God took to Himself an additional nature. Without divesting Himself of any shred of deity, He took to Himself an additional nature, a real human nature, so that in Jesus of Nazareth we met with the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. This is why He can speak this way. This is why He can say such things, because we are meeting with the Son of God. But having done this, having laid out this series of events that lead to the time of His second advent, now beginning with verse 32, He turns His attention to His disciples and the application of His words. What do you do with what He's just told us? He's told us about these events that take place during the entirety of the age leading up to the time of the Great Tribulation. He talks about the sign of the Great Tribulation, the abomination of desolation. Then he talks about what will follow that sign, signs in the heavens, signs on the earth. All of this leading right up to the time when he comes again. The question is now, what do we do with all of this teaching? What does he mean for us to do with it? And the concern that he demonstrates in our verses this morning, the concern that he demonstrates is timeless. This is what he always wants his disciples to do. What he tells his disciples on this occasion, what he'll be calling disciples to do who are alive when these events take place, this is what he means for all of us to do even today. It is true that the majority of the Olivet Discourse is prophetic, it is futuristic. It looks to a time beyond the time of the disciples to whom he was speaking. By the way, this is not unusual in prophetic literature to find things being said to disciples at the time that actually will be applied by disciples far beyond their time. And that's what Jesus is doing on this occasion. So most of this is prophetic. Most of this is futuristic. Almost the entirety of it. Still futures. We sit here this morning. Still ahead of us, ahead of this world. Specific aspects of what Jesus talks about will only be able to be applied by the people who are alive when the events occur, and yet God has preserved these words and given these words to all the people of God for all time. Why? Well, one reason why is because there are principles made evident through this kind of instruction that are always needful and needful for all of us. Namely, what Christ calls for in these verses is alertness and faith. He's calling for discernment. He's calling for an awareness, a spiritual awareness 
that is only made possible by believing His words, by remembering His words, and by believing His words so that when the events take place, disciples who have heard Him will then act in accordance with what He has said. Alertness to the words of Christ, submission to the words of Christ. Alertness, vigilance with respect to what's going on in your world, informed by the words of Christ, you understand what is happening so that when you are called to action, you obey. Now that's timeless. So we sit here this morning, that's exactly how we are called to live, to see our world, to see our time through the lens of the Word of God with a firm commitment, a pre-commitment to encounter what we encounter with a heart of obedience. Jesus, we will do what You have told us to do. We will believe You. That is timeless. And to not be satisfied with this present age, to look for what we've heard in Scripture reading this morning, what we've sung together, to look for a world, a new world in which righteousness dwells. That is to be the heartbeat of the people of God, not satisfied with the passing pleasures of sin, but finding our satisfaction in Christ so that we long for the day and look for the day and live our lives in light of the day when all things will be made new, including us. We've experienced the greatest change we will ever undergo through regeneration and new birth. We are new men and women if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we long for the day in which there will be no sin around us, but no sin within us. No more battle with sin. If you're looking forward to that day, would you say amen? No more battle with sin. So we live our lives longing for a world we don't yet know. But because Jesus told us it will be so, we know it will be so. Again, we celebrate this time of year the first Advent, we celebrate the coming of the Son of God into the world. Well, the Bible prepared humanity for that day. The Bible predicted exactly how it would happen. And one of the reasons why you should be committed to a literal hermeneutic, His first coming happened exactly in keeping with how the Bible described it would happen. Old Testament prophecies, not to be allegorized or spiritualized. He was born in Bethlehem. He was called... A Nazarene, all these things that the Bible said would happen, born of a virgin, they happen exactly as the Bible said. And here is that one telling us exactly what it will be like when he returns from heaven to earth. And it will happen exactly as he has said. So this morning, what we think about together is responding to Christ's promises. So what I want you to think about with me today, responding to Christ's words responding to Christ's promises. He has laid out this series of events, but now in verse 32, he begins to talk about what to do with it. And that's what we think about today, what to do with the words of Christ for all time, for all of God's people. We'll look at this under three headings. I'll just mention them as we come to them. The first thing I want you to notice is the analogy that Christ gives, the analogy that Christ gives, or you could say an illustration. Look at verse 32. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender 
and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Let's stop there. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus gives a very simple illustration, a comparison. And He gives this so that His words would be made clear to us. God gives truth to His people not to confuse us, not to amaze us with what we don't know, but rather He gives His Word to us so that we would know. God is a good communicator. What He gives to us. Now, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us. And what God has revealed, He makes clear. That's what Jesus is doing here. As we've already learned in the Gospel of Matthew, been reminded of, parables served two purposes in the ministry of Jesus. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Sometimes He did so to reveal. Sometimes He did so to conceal. They could serve both ways. A parable could serve to bless. It's a gracious blessing in that it elucidates truth. It makes it clearer. Or sometimes parables could conceal, and in that way they were judgments. Jesus spoke in parables to people who would not listen to Him when He spoke in plain terms so that He then judged them by speaking publicly in parables without explanation, then privately meeting with His disciples and telling them what the parables meant. So a parable explained is a blessing. It's a gracious blessing. It makes truth clear. A parable left unexplained is a judgment because it's like a riddle and you can't really know what it means unless Jesus goes on to explain it to you. Matthew 13, verse 10, remember what we saw there. It says this, Then the disciples came and said to Him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed what a picture that is. You could see, but you've closed your eyes so that you don't have to see. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Here is God giving His Word graciously, with gracious intent, but you will not. And so the judgment was, not willing to hear the truth spoken in plain terms, you will receive the truth in veiled terms. But here he's dealing with his disciples, and the truth is not veiled. The parable serves to unveil the truth. You also, however, find responsibility on the part of the disciples here, because he says in verse 32, now learn the parable. And thano is the word. It's an imperative form. 
They're being commanded to know what they should know because of this illustration. Know what I'm about to teach you. Understand what I'm about to teach you. Listen up. Pay attention. Take my words into your heart. Take advantage of this gift you're being given. And what he gives is a very simple illustration. He says, learn from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. That is, trees that are not evergreens, trees that change through the seasons, trees give signs that seasons are upon us. Just like the changes that take place in trees can identify an approaching season, the fall or the summer, in this case he mentions the summer, so the signs that Jesus has just given them, the previous verses, these signs must be recognized. And when they are taking place, Everything he's told them that will follow will indeed follow, just like he said. Now, he mentions the fig tree, and as we talked about last week, you know, there are many people just enamored with eschatology who are very underdeveloped in so many other areas. People who are actually spiritually immature, which is why they're so locked in on just eschatology. And some of these people take lessons like this, and they distort their meaning. And so some people have really focused in on the fact that Jesus has spoken of a fig tree, and they talk about how in the Word of God, the fig tree is often associated with Israel, which is true. But then they go, they take this leap, and they say, you know, Israel was reconstituted as a nation in 1948. And so that must be what Jesus meant when He talked about the fig tree when the fig tree becomes tender, when its leaves come into being, then this is the generation that will witness all these signs. And so they derive from that the idea that the reconstituting of Israel is the sign that sort of kicks off what Jesus talks about here. Well, that's not the truth. In fact, I don't believe Jesus is talking about the fig tree in association with Israel even in this particular teaching that He's given. Why? Do I say that? Because you have Luke's account also of the same conversation. And Luke's account makes clear that this was a general lesson. It has to do really with any tree that changes through the seasons. Listen to Luke chapter 21, verse 29. And he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, not the reconstitution of Israel, though these signs, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So it's not just the fig tree. It's all the trees, any of the trees that change with the seasons. Very simple illustration. Just as trees give signs that a season is approaching, so... These signs indicate exactly what I've told you they're going to indicate. So the first thing you see is the analogy that he uses. Second thing, notice now the application that he commands, verse 33. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know 
that summer is near, verse 33, so you too, when you see all these things, recognize that He is near, right at the door. When you see an increasing frequency and intensity in the birth pains, when you see whatever believer is alive when it takes place, when you see the abomination of desolation, and all that follows as Jesus has just given the outline. He's saying, just like a tree indicates the season is here, so these things will indicate the time of Christ's return. At this point, He is right at the gates. He is right at the doors. He says, you're to recognize this. And of course, what He means is, so that you will do exactly what He's told you to do. Remember, He gives commands to those who will be alive at the time, who witness these things, exactly what they're to do when they see the abomination of desolation. Don't come down off the rooftop and go gather your things. Don't come in from the field to gather your things. You flee to the mountains and on He goes. So recognize these things to do so that you will do exactly what I've told you to do. Now here is the general principle that is timeless. Everything that God has prepared us for with His Word requires alertness. This is a constant theme in the New Testament, that we're to remain vigilant, that we're to remain awake, that we're not to give ourselves over to spiritual slumber, that we're not to be spiritually lukewarm, that we're to live lives that are zealous for godliness. Can I just ask you, have you ever sensed yourself sort of slipping into a place of spiritual slumber, spiritual laziness, spiritual lukewarmness. This is something the Bible warns us about. And here again is our Lord telling disciples, you must be alert to the things I'm talking to you about. You must recognize the things that I've prepared you for, but recognize it to what end? The second part of the equation, recognize it, so that believing those words when the time arrives, you do what He has called you to do. The obedience of faith. The action of faith. And that's the general principle. We as believers are meant, whatever time frame we're talking about, because just as Jesus has given preparation for and instructions for a future age, He has given preparation for and instruction for the present age. But it still requires our alertness and it requires our submission, our obedience. Put it succinctly, we can say this, discernment. This is living lives of discernment. Discernment requires vigilance and faith. Discernment requires vigilance and faith. You won't live a discerning life if you're not alert. You won't live a discerning life if you're not obedient. Jesus rebuked people who had discernment about physical things, natural things, but didn't have spiritual discernment. All of us, everybody sitting in this room, we know when the fall approaches. We know when the winter approaches. Things change. Even in a warm climate like Houston, things change. Leaves begin to fall and the trees show forth the fact that fall and winter is upon us. We know what season we're in, but are we able to recognize what's happening in our world spiritually? Are we like the frog in the kettle 
that's boiled to death because the heat's turned up slowly, sort of oblivious to what is happening around us? Or do we recognize the time of our generation, the times that we're living in? Do we recognize the spiritual dangers? Do we recognize, as we talked about last week, the messages coordinated by the domain of darkness that are being communicated to us constantly by this world in which we're living? Are we alert and awake? Are our eyes open? Or are we spiritually sleepy? So that as Romans 12 warns us against, we're being conformed to this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. A mind devoted to the Word of God, a life devoted to the truth of God, a life obeying the Son of God, even as the world around us is in rebellion against God. This is how we're meant to live our lives. Not giving ourselves over to this conformity that can happen so easily, but rather living lives that are counter-cultural in keeping with the kingdom that is coming, in keeping with the time that we long for, not just giving ourselves over to the time that is. Matthew 16, verse 1, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test Him. They asked Him to show them a sign from heaven. Unbelievers, despite all the signs they'd already been given, asking for more signs. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. I mean, they really didn't need signs. They had the Word of God. The signs that they saw in the life and ministry of Jesus were simply confirmation of what had already been clearly revealed in Scripture. But they couldn't see it. They could see what happened in the natural realm, but they couldn't recognize what was happening in the spiritual realm. How about you? You can recognize the signs of the season. Can you recognize what's happening around you in your world? Well, this is what's always needed, discernment, which is developed as you see all of life through the lens of the Word of God. All of life. This is what you're striving to do? To see all of life through the lens of the Word of God. Then you take that same Word and apply it to every realm of your life. So that I see life through the lens of the Word of God and I live life through the lens of the Word of God. I interpret my world through the lens of Scripture, and I engage my world through the lens of Scripture. This is how discernment is developed, and this is what is always needed. I'm shocked sometimes to meet with people that I know have sat under the Word of God for a great portion of their life, and yet so naive and undiscerning when it comes to particular choices they make or decisions they're making or how they're living their life. And whenever I see that, here's what I know. Despite all that you're hearing, you're not using what you're hearing. It's by reason of use that discernment is developed. You can sit in a church like this 
and hear sermons the rest of your life. And if you don't use what you're hearing, you will lack discernment. Now, obviously, these men in Matthew 16 are lost. They don't even have the capacity to live discerning lives. But if you have the Spirit of God, you are meant to live a discerning life. And I'm saying to even you who have the Spirit of God, if you don't use what you're hearing, your discernment will be underdeveloped. So seeing my world through the lens of Scripture, then engaging my world through the lens of Scripture. This is how discernment is developed. Are you responsive to God's Word? Are you responsive to it so that you're equipped to live your life in the last days? We are living in the last days. It may or may not be the last of the last days, but the end of the ages has come upon us. You are living in the last days according to Jesus, but are you living in light of the preparation He's given you? Vigilant, alert, awake, and then responsive to what He says. So He gives this illustration in verse 32, just like a tree tells you about the seasons, so My words have prepared you to recognize the season. And in verse 33, when you see these things, again an imperative, recognize He's near. He's right at the doors. So following the abomination of desolation, the events of the great tribulation, and we're talking three and a half years until Jesus comes from heaven. Now, the day or the hour, verse 36, the day or the hour, no one knows. We'll talk about that next week. But the season is recognizable. So he gives an analogy. He commands an application. Third, the assurance that Christ declares. Now in verse 34 and 35, Jesus declares something regarding all of this with the weight of a solemn pledge. I love this. Not only are God's words trustworthy, but God gives them to us in such a way that the weightiness of their trustworthiness is impressed upon us. Because Jesus says in verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. Truly I say to you, take note of this, you can count on this. I'm telling you the truth. I give you my word. That's the sense of it. Can you trust the words of Jesus? They're absolutely trustworthy, aren't they? But He wants you to know that. So He gives this to you like a solemn pledge. Count on this. And then He gives two words of assurance. The first word of assurance has to do with timing, the timing of all of this. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation? The generation alive at the time of the signs. He was not saying the generation of these disciples to whom he was speaking. He's just given a series of signs by which, I mean, when the tree gives forth its signs. Then you know the season is here. So when these signs occur, then you know the season is here. And some of what he describes did not take place in A.D. 70. 
No, the people alive at the time when these signs arrive, they can know that His coming is right at the doors. There won't be a 100-year delay. There won't be 2,000 years delay. There won't be another generation that arrives. No, in the lifespan of the people alive when these signs show up, you can know He will fulfill everything that He said. An assurance regarding the timing of all of this. Just another way of saying there won't be any more delay. These events occur at the same time that His second coming occurs. The signs occur at the same time that His second coming occurs. So I said a moment ago, a particular day or hour that hasn't been revealed, but the season has been revealed. The second coming of Jesus will have these indicators. Now just so you'll know, be prepared for it when you run into it through some commentator, the word translated generation can speak of uh, an ethnic group. So some have said what Jesus is saying is the Jewish people will not pass away until all these things have occurred. God will preserve the Jewish people alive until all these things happen. And of course that's true. The Jewish people will be preserved. But I don't believe this, that's how the word is used here. In this context, it means exactly what you would think it would mean. The people alive at the time that the signs take place will witness the second coming of Jesus. So an assurance regarding the timing. Second, an assurance regarding authority. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Great changes. We sang about it this morning. Great changes are on the way for the planet. When Christ returns, He ushers in a thousand-year kingdom on this earth. And read how the Bible describes that time on the earth. There will be a renewal on the planet during that period of time. But that is not yet the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth come into existence following those thousand years. I want you to turn for just a moment to the book of Revelation chapter 20 because it's an extended section I want to read. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 20. What happens after the thousand years? Christ ruling and reigning on the earth. Again, a time of great renewal. Just read the conditions of the planet during that time. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. But notice what happens after. Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Remember, entering into that thousand-year period will not only be those who've been resurrected, have resurrected bodies, but there will be people who were alive during the tribulation period that will enter into that kingdom period with bodies just like ours. Children will be born. will still be in need of salvation. Even though Jesus is there on the earth, will need stand in need of regeneration. So there will be people to deceive at the end of that thousand years. And there will be people who are deceived. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their numbers like the sand of the sea, verse 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, 
where the beast and the false prophet were, and it will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil locked away forever. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. The final judgment of lost humanity. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Brother Richard, can you envision all this? Not really. I can just see it through the words that are given to me. But I delight to know that what God chooses to do is always greater than I can get my mind around. And I delight to know that these words are trustworthy and true. The one who sits on the throne said so. Jesus is telling us even here in our verses. Look back at Matthew 24. There's a great change on the way regarding the planet. The heavens as we know them now, the earth as we know it now, will one day no longer exist but He tells us at the same time that His words are more indestructible than anything we've seen or known. More indestructible than heaven and earth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of Jesus will not pass away. You can build your life on the words of Jesus. You can stake your eternity on the words of Jesus. There's nothing that exists now or ever will exist that will ever nullify the words of Jesus. Such is the authority of His words that they are indestructible, undeniable. They will completely be fulfilled down to the smallest stroke, the smallest letter. Every word of God is certain. More certain than the sunshine, the sun of the sky as we speak. More certain than the ground you walk on as you come into this place and leave this place. More certain than the stars in the sky at night. More certain than the seat you're sitting on right this moment. Everything Jesus says is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Old Testament spoke of the coming of the Messiah into the world. 
And the people of God, not the world as a whole, but the people of God believed them and watched and waited. And one day, 2,000 years ago, it happened exactly like the Bible said that it would. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Believers. It happened exactly like the Bible said that it would. And that one who came was standing on this earth 2,000 years ago talking about his second advent. And he says, just like the trees show the season, there will be signs that indicate I'm coming. I'm at the doors. And the generation alive, when those signs occur, will not pass away. That is, my coming is right when the signs appear. You can be certain of it. And whatever I've told you to look for, you need to be on the alert for. And whatever I've told you to do, you must be ready to act. Those words preserved for us and given to us people sitting in this room right now who may never live to see what Jesus is describing fulfilled but what is timeless, what is just as crucial for us in this room right now, is that whatever Jesus has said should cause us to be awake, alert, give us discernment, recognize what's happening in the world around us, and whatever He has given to us to live during such times, we are to be submissive to, obedient to, we don't just hear His words, we respond to His words with our expectation and with our obedience. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Anyone hearing me today, you're not yet a Christian, you need to know the baby grew up. We celebrate a baby in the manger, but He grew up. And He lived a sinless life representing a people. And He died a substitutionary death on a cross. He wasn't paying for his sins. He had none. But dying for all the sins in the place of all the people who would one day put their faith in him. And then he was raised from the dead bodily. He appeared to many people alive over a period of 40 days. And then he ascended back into the heavens. His disciples saw him leave the earth and go up into the clouds. And an angel told them, that just as surely as he was seen going into the clouds, one day he would come with the clouds and return to the earth. And here is that one telling his disciples, I am that one. The Son of Man will be seen in the clouds, and here's what's going to happen when I come again. Just as his first advent proved to be exactly the truth, so his second advent will prove to be exactly the truth. But until he comes... We live our lives watching for Him, waiting for Him, interpreting our world through the lens of His words and engaging our world through the lens of His words. This is what it means to be a believer. You've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but as your Lord, He is your shepherd and your teacher. And you live your life every day following Him. Isn't this what Jesus said to people consistently? Come, follow me. This is what He says to unbelievers today. 
Put away, put away your vain hopes of saving yourself. Put away every confidence you've placed in yourself. Turn to me and live. But what that means is come follow me, Jesus would say. Come follow me. Are you a Christ follower? Is His Word your lens? Is it your bread? Is it your food? Is it law to you? Meaning, what Jesus says settles it. And what He says, thank God, is clear. God hasn't given His Word to confuse us. God has given His Word to guide us. It's knowable. He's a good communicator. So will you take His words into your heart and believe Him and follow Him? Dear church, persevere in the truth. Don't be spiritually sleepy. Wake up. For the time is nearer today than it's ever been that we will see our Savior face to face. And the Lord's people would say, Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for our Savior, for Your Son, for our our Redeemer, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Thank You that You have reconciled us to Yourself through faith in Him. That His blood paid for all of our sins and His righteousness answers for our full acceptance. Thank You that in Your mercy and great grace You granted us the repentance and the faith necessary to embrace the things promised in Jesus. Thank You, Lord, that because You loved us first, we now love You. And when the trumpet of Your Word is sounded, it wakes us up because You have given us ears to hear. So I pray for any drowsy brother or sister listening to me today, and I ask that this Word would wake them up. That wherever, Lord, we have given ourselves over to spiritual slumber and lukewarmness, that this would be the day that we make the commitment in our hearts, I will be alert, I will be awake. I will be prepared with the words my Savior has given me and I will submit to those words and obey those words. I will live my life responding to the words of Jesus. And again, Lord, I pray for any unbeliever within the sound of my voice. Lord, may You grant them the faith that embraces Jesus. We ask You for this in Jesus' name. Amen.